Hello and welcome to a special episode of One on One, or as we say in Hebrew, Shalom v'bruchim abayim l'achat anachot. In today's episode, I'm truly excited to host one of the most famous world models in the women's game, a brilliant manager and a delightful pundit as well. Shalom Emma Hayes. Shalom. Oh, nice. You know the, the first word. Yeah, I, I have to do that, otherwise I'll embarrass myself. No, you can say hello. That's the least I can do. How are you? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Great. How was your trip to Israel? It was perfect. I got to sleep for four hours on the plane and then to walk off the plane and see clear blue skies. Do you like the weather? I love the weather. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I never complain about warm weather, so I'll enjoy it while I'm here. Me too. <laughs> I want to say thanks again for meeting with us, especially in your tight schedule. And I'm very excited to have you on this podcast, as we introduced before. It's the first podcast in Hebrew about women's in sport, about footballer. And uh, I think you're the right person to be on this first episode of a special uh, of a international. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Um, for those who, for some reason, listen to this podcast and do not know Emma, a little uh, introduction. Emma is 42 years old. English. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read it at home and I said 24. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, that's, that's much better. Uh, so, a football manager and has been coaching since she was 20 years old? Yeah. Wow, amazing. In her 20 or so years of career, she's been uh, in a variety of coaching functions. She served as a head coach from uh, 2001 to 2003 in the W League with the Long Island Lady Riders, and she was honored as the 22 National Coach of the Year. And you were the youngest uh, female head coach in the W League. Yep, that's oh, right. That's amazing. And then you were appointed as a head coach of a soccer in Iona College? Iona College. Iona College, nice. Um, in New Rochelle, New York. And you were honored also the coach of the year. Uh, and you won the 2004-2005 MMAC Conference Championship. I know, I got, I'm getting popular. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a great little school, Division One College in, in uh, Westchester, New York. And had a great little team that really really one of my favorite teams i've ever coached yeah really yeah and you coach like the big stars of the women's game yeah, there's no doubt iona college is one of the best teams i've ever coached for the people for their spirit for what they achieved what we achieved together without not necessarily having the most talent amazing and, and the whole college atmosphere is totally different in the professional football yeah completely it's the games are played for three months and you have games on Friday and Sunday and the, it was a really really quick turnaround short season but to be in an academic environment as well and help to develop you know young student athletes off the pitch and holistically I think really added a lot to my coaching to see to see them develop uh, from the beginning of their university to the end amazing yeah. that sounds lovely then you were appointed as a uh, the next stop was Arsenal. You were appointed as the first team assistant and academic director of Arsenal Ladies. Yeah, I got to go home and coach with my old coach. He was the manager and had been for 20 years with yeah. a really successful team. And and I got to coach the team in the year that the team won the quadruple. Uh, 2007. Yeah, and that was an unbelievable year with an unbelievable group of players. And uh, one I'll never forget because I learned an awful lot about being the underdog and even if you know, a team has 
more more expenses, more money, maybe even bigger profile players that uh, the spirit is the most important thing that you can put into your team and we won the at the time called the UEFA Women's Cup now the Champions League it was the heaviest trophy I've ever <laughs> in fact two people had to lift it up it was that heavy I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely not joking um, but it was a wonderful experience I spent two years there and then overseeing the academy for the 16 to 19 year olds a residential program and producing a lot of players into the senior team or into the wider women's football world Everyone in in the manager's world saying that it's, I think, most delightful to work with the young uh, kids, with the young players. Do you feel the same as we were working at the academy and then you go to work with the senior team? You know, I, I, I just love coaching. So it doesn't matter. It could be under 10 boys. Yeah. It could be, you know, the seniors, the, the development age players, as long as, as long as they're ambitious to improve. I don't mind the gender or the ages of the players. Yeah. That's nice to hear. Well, in 2008, you were appointed as head coach of, and director of football operation at Chicago Red Stars. In the yeah, what a great town, Chicago. I had the chance to go and coach at St. Louis Athletica, and I chose Chicago because I, I, would have, I felt more comfortable going to a big city. And I went to a team that had no players, no back office, no players. And from the scratch, I had to go through a, a draft system, which I was completely... <laughs> alien to me and I put together the best team in the world on paper they were unbelievable when you looked at them and put them together on the pitch and they were horrendous <laughs> and I learned an awful lot about how uh, how to, to, to put the makeup of a team together and that you have to get the balance right between talent because if you've got which I had at the time a front line of Megan Rapino. Carly Lloyd in midfield, Cristiani, Karen Carney, and for me, I had an unbelievable team, but it couldn't defend. Yeah. So I, I learned a lot in that process. How do you build the pyramid from the bottom to top? Now? Well, once I got sacked, <laughs> yeah. that's when I, for me, my coaching really started. Yeah. Because I reflected that uh, I needed the failures, I needed the setback, I need to really zoom out and reflect where I'd gone wrong and when I got the opportunity I then was then given the job as a technical director of another team called the Flash, Western yeah. New York Flash and I put together a team of all the players I should have put together for Chicago yeah. and that team went on and won the championship. Yeah it was an amazing team, like, yeah. the team spirit was above all and oh. that's something that a lot of coaches are trying to build and don't get the, the chance to do it, like do it, as you say bring in the, the names not the players that could help a team. Yeah, and you know what? Somebody said to me the other day that the day will come when we start to do polygraphs of players in the recruitment. Yeah. And, and I thought about that. And I thought, you know what? What a great way to accurately find out what someone's like under stress yeah. or in difficult times because when things are going well and sometimes you'll watch a player and you're recruiting and you say, yeah, oh, they've... They, they've got all the right attributes, but it's the character that you have to get underneath the most to know if they can cope with the expectations and the pressure. And the failures. Especially the, the failures. It's coming for everyone's career. Like you failed yeah. more than once when you were an athlete. I, tr I tried to say to the players that there's no such thing as failures, there's only learnings. Yeah, I got it tattooed on my... Have you really? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> no failures, always lessons, and uh, yeah, the other one is about uh, just uh, keep them coming, you know? I'm learning from everything. 
so we got it tattooed, but I think that's a motto for, for everyone else. So in 2012, we were appointed as head coach of Chelsea Ladies. Yes. I sat at home, I was watching Mo Farah run in the 5,000 oh. meter during the Olympics, and my phone rang, and I was so excited by what I'd witnessed that there was a voice that said, hello, my name is Pete Stewart and I work for Chelsea and somebody's recommended you, would, would you consider being the manager? I went, yes, I'll be there in the morning. <laughs> and I didn't even think about it. <laughs> and I had a full-time job, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened in that moment. But the, if the truth be told, four years prior to that, a card reader had told me that I was going to be the manager of Chelsea one day. So I, I didn't hesitate. You didn't believe in such a thing? No, I've never ever done anything like that before and I've never ever done it since. So why did you do it for only one time? Because I had to make a decision between whether I was going to be the head coach of Chicago, the head coach of St. Louis, or stay right. at Arsenal to become the manager. And I couldn't make up a decision. So one of my mentors sent me there and said, look, go. And then I came away and she said three things. I sat down and I said, look, I have to make a decision. She said, yes, of course you do. You're going to do unbelievable things at Chelsea. And I said, but I'm not even here to talk about Chelsea. That's not even an option. Could I have a phone number? Yeah, I know everyone says the same. Everybody says the same. (laughs) Great. Um, Since you joined the team, you win three championship titles? It's like yes. when you move from yes. a one-year calendar yeah. to a mm-hmm. seasonal calendar, yeah. and uh, FA Cups as yeah. well. Um, I think I didn't miss anything, right? In no. our managing career, great. So it was nice talking to you. I'm You've kidding. done well. <laughs> um, you came to Israel with Chelsea Lady yeah. to play against the Israeli Women National Team as part of the Chelsea Football Club and Chelsea Foundation activity. On top of that preparation match, uh, you have a busy schedule in Israel. Yeah, but this is the life of a football manager. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the fact that we get the opportunity to see young girls play, to participate together, to be involved in roundtable conversations, to meet with people from clubs, from the Israeli FA, people like yourself, those within the football community. For us, the most important thing beyond the game, because it's part of our pre-season preparations, is to make sure that we can offer you know, as much insight as we can about how to grow the women's game. And that is a, you know, a very big wish of our owner, our yeah. man, uh, to do that. And for us, this is the chance to talk about the thing we love the most is, is a pleasure. So yeah. you know, we're going to make sure I don't miss a, a single opportunity while I'm here. Yeah, great to hear. It's all about social responsibility and we all have it and it seems like especially in sports but it seems that in the women's game we carry much more on our shoulders and we have like wider responsibility to the to the growth and the improvement of the game as you say you don't take care only about your team and how you're going to succeed next year you spread the word and you come even to israel which is not in your let's say typical pre-season uh, route well one of the big behaviors that the team live by is is being altruistic and for us, the, that is not something that's just a value that sits on the wall, it's yeah. a behavior. And that commitment to our community, whatever that community is, yeah. our fans, you know, young people that we come across, that's something that in the time that I've been here is one thing that I want the team to have as their lasting legacy. Is that there's a, you know, that, that, that 
that people feel that they can get close to the team, that they can look up to them, that they want to be them or they want to meet them or they want to work in the industry, whatever it might be, is that we're very conscious that being that is part of our identity and uh, like I said, I don't, what you, you don't get is, you know, my players, in fact we have a rule, win or lose yep. in every game, we always engage with the fans, the community, we always sign all grass, we always do our interviews regardless of the result. That's a behaviour that for us uh, we think is, is so important. That's fantastic. Football club is much more than football, yeah, and you do it like day by day. Well, the English football has come a long way since the, his bad days of violence and uh, hooliganism in the stands, but still we are witnessing racism. Unfortunately, it's happening all over the world, not only in England, but Chelsea is the leading club in the fight against racism and anti-Semitism. And you came here to Israel when, yeah. you know, we have a special community, we talked about it in before we start the recording about uh, our language, Hebrew, and uh, how we want to spread it to the world, and how we want to make uh, bridges through the football to uh, come people together and realize there is no place to any racism. Well, you get the behavior you tolerate, and their football club doesn't tolerate uh, behavior that discriminates, uh, regardless of anything. I think the work we have done around uh, anti-Semitism, around racism, around homophobia, around equality um, has been an integral part of, of our identity and I think Chelsea deserves huge credit for this work yep. and uh, the number of communities that whose lives we impact on in a positive way and I think one thing that I've always liked about what the club does is that is that ultimately it's about educating. It's not punishment if people behave poorly in the stands. It's about actually taking fans that, uh, whether they are aware of their behaviours in any way, shape or form, but taking the time to educate them about uh, history, um, yeah. about being empathetic towards others, about, you know, acknowledging that society's changed, we don't live in Victorian times <laughs> anymore and that we want to make our terraces a place that's safe and and friendly for all fans and I think one thing the women's game has bought uh, as well and with our club leading protagonist in this is that there's a whole new set of fans coming into the game and, and I think that football is a major part in uh, improving people's behaviours and, and to rid English football of um, some of our past yeah. stigmas and labels and I think that our club's doing our best effort to do that. Yeah, and I can surely relate to that because I'm part of the social responsibility team mm -hmm. of Israel. It's a team of players like male and female players from all leagues, from the professional leagues and the uh, semi-professional. We don't say what you shouldn't do, we say what you should do and how you should help the, all of the society, so I can really relate to this uh, thing that you say. Um, but now let's go back to football. When you first came to Chelsea, what kind of club did you see, what kind of team did you see? Um, I came to the club when it was an amateur team. The women's team uh, roughly had maybe 12 or 13 players, they were a bottom two team. It was in a really amateur league. Only Arsenal, maybe Liverpool at the time, 
invested any money into it and I remember um, writing a letter um, maybe to Bruce and to Emma <laughs> Wilkinson from memory and I was then invited to to sit uh, with the foundation board and, and just to talk about women, the women's game and um, from day one of that meeting there was a huge appetite to build towards a better women's football set up within the club but that to do it responsibly and to do it progressively over a period of time and that you can't take something from absolute zero level to a hundred percent that with a little bit of time a little bit of social emotional financial investment um, and then having a clear enough vision to do that I think from that day on we've just seen progression year after year that has seen the team go from as I said amateurs to full-time professionals to now we consider ourselves an elite performance environment and with expertise around everything from women's health to menstrual cycle to uh, well-being etc and to do it with understanding that the differences between men and women etc and and I think we're a, I think we're a world leader I don't think we're just a country leader I think we're a world leader in where the game is going and you know our club I think the fact that it embraced it so early on because uh, it was much different at Arsenal. Arsenal had 20 or 30 years where it was quite established. I played against Arsenal in the first year of the, the UEFA Cup, the Women's Cup. Yeah, we lost 7-0. And they, and they already had that. Yeah. So they were already, the investment was there. And I think what happened is where that journey started together with the club and the women's team, it moved quite quickly. Um, and I always say that the club, one of the things I love around the club is the everybody's falling in love with this team yeah <laughs> and, uh, and that what can give you greater joy because at the end of the day I choose to put a team out that entertains yeah. and that's not the reason I think just why people enjoy the team we've got great characters who uh, are committed to driving uh, not just what we do in the club but to set the bar around the world and, and that's what we take the most pride in yeah, you should do it very well. What do you think is crucial for a successful women's team in the club? Like the staff itself, the structure, the facilities, the players' ability? You've got to get it right off the pitch in the first instance. And it isn't about one single piece of it. You have to be, there's got to be a collective and common goal. So that's the football association, it's the clubs, you know, working progressively over a period of time. Like I think the women's game in 2019 the real starting point for that was 2012 and in that time frame a lot of work has been done so yeah. I think to do that or replicate that elsewhere it has to start at the same starting point because you get lots of learnings about what to do what not to do where to put your energy where not to put your energy um, and then to this is something uh, I think the dangers of going from amateur to professional, as, a, as I always teach the players, is that prof being a professional does, doesn't just mean uh, mastering the football. You've got ethical, altruistic, commitment, theoretical and intelligence. All those five tenets define professionalism. 
So you want to get to that point, you have to be in a position where the, the, the players, the staff, etc., have all of that underpinned first. So it's important not to run before you walk. It's got to be step by step by step and that, that becomes a solid foundation. At the Israeli football, we are in a turning point right now, uh, as far as the league goes. Uh, it's about, about financial stuff uh, mainly, but the teams now are, I think, in a bad way. Uh, we're amateurs, but uh, now they're saying that we should have like five or six foreigners. Well, you already have five foreigners in each team. And they don't give enough, I don't think they should give, but they don't give enough space for the Israeli player and the young players are lost. Uh, so right now we're in a turning point and I think that we shouldn't rush as you say to go to the sure. to the professional level but we should aim there we should do stuff to change the football around here I mean at the club level not yet at the yeah, yeah. FA level uh, but it should be like a combined uh, target for everyone yeah and I think we have a homegrown uh, quota rule that's softly enforced that we try to work to about 10 players at a minimum within a squad of 20, yeah. 23 that will be uh, homegrown. And I think that's where I say it has to be a combined effort to make sure that the, the, the national association players don't get lost within that. Yeah, we need identity in every club and every team. We need to, uh, see, to see it, to become it. And when I see a foreign player as a young Israeli player, I don't want to become a foreign player. I want to become the Israeli lead player. Yeah. And then if you want to be it, you need to see it. We talked about the characters, about your players. Yeah. And how many leaders do you think should be in the team? Well, it goes back to the old adage, is a leader born or are they made? Yeah, nice question. <laughs> so if you think they're made, you can have all of them as leaders. Yeah. But to work through a process of developing leaders takes time and wisdom and reflection and development so you need enough so that they can make enough decisions in action on the pitch in the right moments or more importantly when you're not looking yeah that's the most important part but you have to cultivate it so while i think some are born with natural abilities you have to make them so that work has to be done again and again and again to make sure that the leadership group is not one or two but actually gets deeper and deeper with every year and i'm blessed that we have yeah, yeah they run me right <laughs> but you said that the coach is the biggest leader should be the biggest leader well i believe in mirroring yeah they you you if you want if you want your players to behave in a certain way you have to role model that behavior and it's vice versa so you have to have the ability to say uh if you want people to be subjected to con constructive criticism which coaches want to do towards players you have to receive the same in return and it can't be a single way process uh, but also i think one of the biggest things about um i know with our work is a lot of get getting the mirrors out a lot of self-reflection because with emotional contagion it's so easy to start complaining and yeah. then it affects the next person then it affects the next etc etc but one of the biggest areas we focus on is before you start that wildfire 
is look inside have a look inside first and, and ask those questions and then if you're totally satisfied with that response then maybe you think about a solution and not creating the problem for blaming like, yeah yeah, yeah. so easy yeah. so easy to blame i think it's a disease that we are uh, yeah all in our society not only in, in sports we are radiators or drainers we call them <laughs> i say it to them are you a drainer today or are you going to be a radiator you're yeah. going to give some good heat or are you going to drain the life out of me nice this morning? you also said before about the coach that you have to be able to influence their minds and their hearts yeah when you want to bring your player to your uh, team how much do you value their mental strength or weakness well the important thing to know is that the brain is a muscle yeah. in football in sport we train lots of muscles but we don't train the mind enough that this muscle here yeah. so again you have different levels of strength within that some have high football intelligence high game intelligence some have high social intelligence emotional intelligence with their mind etc but one thing that To be a Chelsea player is you have to have an unbelievable amount of resilience. So I say that this badge yeah. is a privilege, it's not a pressure. Because some people can put a shirt on and it can get heavy and it can be a weight. So in order for it to be a privilege, you have to have the personality and the character to be able to cope with everything that comes with it. The demands, the expectations, the, the privileges. Uh, that come with that and I spend a lot of time before we sign players I treat it like an interview yep. and I take them through an entire process over a period of time to determine what they are like under pressure and that's what I'm most interested in I don't care how they play when the sun is shining yep. and they have the ball and their team are winning 3-0 I am totally disinterested in that player I want to know what it's like when it's pissing down with rain, when they've been kicked up in the air, where they're completely unhappy, they're on the time of their month and they're not feeling their best. Can they still produce performance? Can they still be a top professional? And for me that has to be evaluated if you are going to um, have players that produce all year round as opposed to when it suits them. Yeah, this is the main target. Yeah. To be, yeah. Um, mental health was kind of a non-issue for many years, but recently more and more clubs and also players are talking about it and also hiring mental health experts to deal with this kind of situation. Do you have one? Yes, we do. We have a women's health coach and we deal with a lot of the well-being, but not just of the players, yeah. of the staff. The staff as well. So, yeah. yeah, so we have a weekly meditation, staff and players, because mindfulness matters and what, what that mindfulness is takes place in different guises but one of it is being able to uh, recognize to be aware of yourself um, and that whether that's whether you're having a hard time whether you need help but also to train each other to be able to recognize if somebody's struggling yeah so I have I just hired a guy who came from men's football and he said to me in the first four he said I, I've never seen so many people crying <laughs> He said, I'm not used to this. I said, yes, but it's not a sign of weakness. Yeah. He said, I know that. He said, he said, but you've cried twice too. I said, yes, well, you've had a good month because normally I'd have been four <laughs> times now within this. Because whatever, it's not, it's something that the ability to, to cleanse, to let go, to, to feel emotionally so supported is critical. Yeah, so important. So 
Um, about coaching career, for your opinion, being a former player is beneficial for a, a coach or it's just irrelevant for a coaching career? Well, listen, I grew up playing football as much as I possibly could until my ankle didn't want to let me play. So I've probably done... That was when you were 17 years yeah, old? Yeah, about 17. <laughs> I kept going a little bit later. Um, of course, it can give added benefits. But as I always say, you don't need to be a good patient to be a good doctor. <laughs> You don't necessarily need to be a good student to be a good teacher. And I don't know if you need to be a good passenger to be a good pilot. Yeah. So understanding the pedagogy of your profession is the most important thing. I couldn't agree more. One of the first uh, leadership tests for you was when you were just 25 years old. Mm -hmm. You remember that case? Yeah. So you had to face a challenging dilemma while you were coaching a semi-professional team. Yeah. And your decision was to bench the 37 years old former US national team coach yeah. uh, keeper in the playoffs. She was also the general manager. Yeah. So after you took the championship and you won the coach of the year award, she fired you. Yeah, she did. <laughs> she she did. But that was the that I knew what I was doing and I have to accept the consequences of that decision. So do I choose I chose winning. Yeah. And there's always going to be a implication of that and I understand my profession. So if I hadn't have been sacked in my career, I'd have been slightly worried. Yeah. I think getting sacked is part of part and parcel of what we do. Yeah, that's better to be sacked after you win a championship than relegated. But you've never coached unless you've been sacked. Yeah, of course. Um, is it easier or harder to work with stars? As you said mentioned before, you Manage the they are the people. Yeah. I manage the the person, not the player. They are all very individual. They all require something different. It's very subjective. But ultimately, if you put in place enough objective processes for them, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's Frank Kirby, Ramona Batman, or Deanna Cooper. You have to give the same level of commitment to all of them. Great. I want to take you back to your life-changing event. That's fine by you? Yeah. Yeah. Right. In December 20, uh, 2017, you announced that after a long time you're trying to conceive, you are finally pregnant and you have carrying twins. Yeah. But one of the twins were, you were expecting didn't make it after the third yeah. trimester. That must be hard work. Extremely difficult. I, I think the hard part was coaching while I had an unwell child inside of me and that was very tiring. Um, but I have a beautiful, healthy boy. Yeah. Um, and Lovely Harry. My king. Yeah. My king who's not with us this week is, oh. you know, I think I, I value all the more how hard it's been to bring him into the world and I accept that I can't change anything that happened but I, I know that uh, what was meant to be, you know, has been. Yeah. The reason I asked it, it's not for any no, personal reason, is these day pregnant athletes are at the headlines. And yeah. the other day Nike announced that they will change their contract, that the, the represent athletes won't be affected financially by getting pregnant. Your thoughts about that? Yeah, listen, you know, we, 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 we too have been put <laughs> on in, in this world to conceive yeah. and I think if women choose to have children during their professional careers then uh, in fact, I think of the players I've coached who've had children, they've got better and better after every child. And um, and I know for me, I'm a much better coach by being a parent. 
it's just whatever choices people make, I think uh, the, the community around you know, should support that. Yeah, totally agree with it. As I mentioned before, you are the delightful commentator, my favorite, I must say. Uh, first time we got in contact with your brilliant comments and analyst was doing the 20,000 uh, Women's World Cup, yeah. 2007. Uh, do you still enjoy it as of the first time? I just love watching football. Yeah. So if I get a chance to watch football somewhere, like even this summer, you know, I probably could have taken some time off, but it's the World Cup. Like, yeah. why would you not want to watch the World Cup? And why not take my son to watch the World Cup? It was, you know, for me, just watching the women's game. I, I am blessed I get to work in something I'm really passionate about. And when I'm not working, I watch it. Yeah, I can relate to that. 24-7. But is it a man, is it the commentary part, is it a man territory? Is it what? A man's territory, like not for a woman? Nothing is. I, I totally agree. Do you feel something like, even in the first time when you were talking about football or giving your comments? No, to be honest with you, I was asked last week if I wanted to do, the, to be the first female co-com on BBC during the Arsenal Tottenham game. Yeah. And I said I, I can't I can't I'm busy in coaching. But I think it's a changing world and I think that I'm of the mindset that, you know, um, to keep being progressive, to keep pushing forward and uh, there'll be more and more opportunities. And you said it before, there will be uh, female coaches and, and men's teams. Yeah. How how you are so sure? I totally agree with it, but yeah. you're sounding so convincing saying yeah, that. I'm sure it's a natural evolution. When that will be is is merely a matter of time. It's just that some point a board somewhere will decide that a female candidate is somebody that they will consider. And I think the more and more female coaches that are getting into the game at the highest level, the more likely it will become. They were talking about you becoming one of the Chelsea men's team coaching staff. Was it the media trying to find news or was it uh, true? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's flattering. My father said I was 33 to 1. I said I was extremely disappointed <laughs> with that. I was hoping to be Everything closer to 10 Everything is about the beds over there, huh? <laughs> nice one. Your thoughts about the latest uh, World Cup? About? The latest World Cup? The Women's World Cup? Yeah. Oh, incredible. The product's gone up a whole new level. Um, I think the fact that we're selling out stadiums, we're broadcasting to more people than ever. There's more commercial sponsors coming into the game. This is the real tipping point for the women's game. And um, I think the next 10 years are going to be extremely exciting. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think it was absolutely marvelous. I enjoyed the team spirit of every one of the teams. I enjoyed the level playing, the player skills. Everything about it was just a whole new world. You know, we in the women's game for a long time, but this World Cup was something yeah, special. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, I think I hope that the FA and clubs could uh, leverage this success and to bring into the. I don't think you ever see the lasting impact of those legacies for another ten years. Yeah, but you can see one thing about the marketing of yeah. the game, and also in the Super League, you're gonna have streamed live every game. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I think to make it more accessible to everybody uh, until you know it's such time to consider what those future broadcasting arrangements looks like. I think uh, making it accessible is the best thing we can do. Yeah, totally agree. What is your goal for next season? Win. Win. Everything. Always win. Always. Yeah. Start the season well. Uh, celebrate wonderful game at Stamford Bridge yeah. against Tottenham, no, and, and uh, you know start the league campaign 
in the best possible way. Oh, last questions. What do you know about the Israel team, except what Avram told you? Uh, <laughs> I know they're an improving team. Yeah. Um, I've looked at the recent results. Um, I think they're ranked 44th, something like that, in mm -hmm. the world. Um, I expect that there'll be a stubborn opponent to play yeah. against, difficult to break down. Um, so it's up to us to bring the magic. Yeah, it's going to be a sellout game. More than 11,000 tickets were handed out by Crest. And even before kickoff, I think it's amazing achievement for Israeli football. And more importantly, there's an unbelievable half-time band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Static and Benel, that's the name. What are they what? called? Static and Benel. Static, it's like, uh, how do you say? She will not. She will not. <laughs> yeah. I do know them. You do know them? Yes, I've yeah. seen them. Roller games. Yeah. I watched them. My son likes them. Really? So yeah. one last thing. Right. One last thing uh, before we said goodbye. The Jewish New Year is uh, not far away. What do you wish the Israeli women football for the next year? Oh, to keep prospering, to qualify, or get closer to yeah. it. Um, see more investment into the infrastructure at the grassroots level and keep progressing year on year. Amen to that. Emma Hayes, thanks for joining me for this uh, special episode of One on One. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I do. I did. You're yeah, welcome. Great. Thank you for your time and you have the best uh, of luck. With that. I will. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you. All right. Sorry.